0: Hello, I'm Ben Eagle, a podcaster, journalist, and rural communications consultant, and welcome to Rural Business Focus. This is the podcast for rural businesses and those looking to start a business in the countryside. Episodes are released each Tuesday to inspire and support you to be your very best, both personally and for your business. Please subscribe to the show wherever you're listening. And if you think this episode will help someone you know, forward it on to them. It's the only way the show grows by you sharing it. So thank you for that. But now, Let's start today's show. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 57 of Rural Business Focus. Now, today we're talking about building new enterprise in rural areas, planning and farm diversification. My guest is Hannah Mole who established Mole and Co in 2010 which runs the rural planning company which does well, really exactly what it says on the tin. Planning is often at the center of rural development, indeed a necessary part It's something that we've covered a few times on the show before, but today we're going to look at it, especially from a diversification standpoint, but looking at it really, I suppose, in the context um, of rural development generally. When we talk of diversification, NFU Mutual's annual survey reveals that the number of farmers operating non-farming enterprises as part of their overall business has risen from 28% in 2018 to 31% in 2020, and then 37% in 2021. So there is quite a significant upwards trend. And this is expected to continue its trajectory of growth hannah a farmer's daughter from worcestershire has worked in the agricultural and rural space for over 20 years originally a chartered surveyor uh, she came to specialize in planning and the business has grown significantly so i'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about her business as well as her knowledge of planning generally hannah welcome to rural business focus Um, how, how are you doing this week
1: Morning, Ben. Yes, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me on, and uh, all very well. Thank you.
0: Good. Uh, we're going to kick start with the new first question, which I'm going to ask everyone, which is what is your first rural memory?
1: I think for me, I don't think I've ever known anything else except rural. Probably ev- everything is rural. I'm such a country bumpkin, <laughs> really. I grew up on a farm and so all of my first memories are farming related my dad was a pig farmer and then he went out of that and went into vegetables and fruit but i remember the pigs uh, my uncle was a dairy farmer and i think just playing around in the dirt in the fields and everything <laughs> at home i think so yeah. and I, I don't think i've ever remembered anything except rural
0: um i mentioned some some stats um in regard to farm diversification um in the intro but Why do you think we've seen so much expansion, um, particularly over the past few years?
1: I think uh, it's arguably a, a multitude of factors. Firstly, probably is the enormous structural and political change that we've seen in agriculture. You know, over the last 30, 50 years, it's increasing and changing probably more rapidly than we've ever seen, you know, in the last even couple of years. So for many smaller farms... Sadly and unfortunately, it means that when they're trying to produce commodities in a you know market-driven world, that it just it, it is difficult to make those farms um, economically viable. So many of them are having to turn to alternative forms of income. But actually, I think that the the diversification has partly also been driven by demand from people looking for it as well. So from consumers, we have. More disposable income than we've ever had before. We are looking to do more things in the countryside. I think certainly, even, you know, in the last two or three years since COVID, it's become much more apparent that people are wanting to go into the countryside for activities and they're wanting mm-hmm. to spend their time in nature and outside and in a rural environment. So this is partly the need from farmers, but also partly consumer-driven and the desire and want to go and do some of those and and have some of those activities and experiences in the countryside. Uh, it's an interesting consumer habit. Over the last few years, since the advent of, for example, Amazon, pre-pre-Amazon and pre, you know, internet delivery, we were more materially led. So if your hairdryer packed up in September, you'd wait and ask for it for Christmas. But now we just click on buy next day and you've got your hair dryer the next day. Yeah. So we're not we're not needing material things anymore you know we have them uh, um, especially because of that disposable income and everything else so we're looking for experiences instead and you know so we're looking for that next Instagram shot or uh, to spend time with our friends or our families and of course the countryside can deliver a lot of those experiences which you wouldn't get elsewhere so I think that's helps sort of the the consumer demand for it too. That
0: is a really interesting observation. I think that's that's the first time I've, I've heard it framed in that way. But that, that makes complete sense because for so many of us, it has, whether you think about it or not, it has had a direct impact on the way that we actually uh, live our consumer lives, I suppose.
1: Live our lives, yeah, Definitely.
0: Um, In terms of diversifications, because you must have come across quite a few now, um, I'm guessing farm shops feature that kind of thing. What are some of the more common ones, but also perhaps what are some of the more unique, interesting ones that you've come across?
1: There has been a really big shift over the last few years. So 30 years ago, diversification was what we traditionally thought of diversification. Bed and breakfast in the farmhouse, some horse livery, farm shops, Renting a building out to somebody in the village to build, you know, some of that still is prevalent and relevant now. You know, we still renting out buildings is absolutely still top of the list. You know, it's 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 the most common form of diversification, and that's still as relevant today as it ever has been. Bed and breakfast, I would argue, has has slightly been replaced by it's still accommodation, but has been replaced by glamping, Airbnb, yep. different types of accommodation. Farm shops in some instances have struggled so that there has been some rationalisation in that sector. And of course, uh, you know, things like the added value and produce and so on. There has been some fantastic, really innovative products that have come out from, you know, farmers that have diversified and rural businesses setting up in in the location. But actually, as you say, just really absolutely sprung up in the last I don't know, five plus years maybe these some of these really cool innovative things. So you could talk about glamping all day long and yeah. the huge, huge expansion in glamping. And some of those accommodations have become really unique and innovative, haven't they? You know, some of them are really quirky, really interesting. Who would have ever thought that, you know, you'd be staying in a, a bus or a train carriage or a, you know, a mm. treetop house or whatever? You know, so some of those have become really interesting. But then people are doing things that honestly, even I 10 years ago would have said that would never work. (laughs) You know, (laughs) things that you just think, how do they work? But they do. And going back to that experience led thing, people are looking, they've got a bit more money. They're looking to do something different. So yoga with goats or walking with llamas. I mean, who would have ever thought that would actually run, you know, and be successful, but brilliant and great for those that are doing it. Some of the things I love are things like the confetti fields, you know, that are opening up. So it's alternative forms of tourism, bringing people out. People are doing things also that they would otherwise have done traditionally in, in more urban environments, things like gyms, you you know, fitness on the farm and, and dogs, uh, dogs and cats, hugely a growth area. And uh, so, so we're seeing loads of dog walking fields. And again, I'd have thought a few years ago, who's going to pay you to fence the field and let their dog walk in that field for an hour? They
0: seem to be springing up everywhere now.
1: Everywhere. But they're a, a low cost entry point. It does depend where you are. Obviously, you can't have it, you know, sort of halfway up a hill in the middle of nowhere in Wales. So you've got to be reasonably close to a large population. But yeah, they're springing up everywhere. Low entry point. And being very, very successful. But then also on the back of them, they're doing, you know, exercising fields and we're doing a lot more things for like dog grooming and stuff. So dogs are the new babies. (laughs) People (laughs) are spending a lot of money on them.
0: And taking that diversity and bringing this towards the planning system, how flexible is the planning system to allow for that diversity of enterprise?
1: nowhere near flexible enough unfortunately it has been a a big barrier unfortunately it's also a bit of a postcode lottery as to depending on where you are a little bit and i'll I'll explain that but to to be planning geeky for a moment we in in the uk and i'm just going to predominantly talk about england but we we work within what's called a plan-led system which is where the government and local planning authorities they write local plans they write frameworks and they say when planning officers are making decisions, you have to make decisions in accordance with our plans in our local development plans and our frameworks. So we've sort of got this rule book to work off. Now, when the government and local authorities are writing those plans, it's very urban led, and it has been for a long time, you know, and it's, I mean, I understand why, because the most of our population live in towns and cities, so I get that. But almost to the point at which they've forgotten about the rural economy in some instances and there's no real understanding of in my opinion no real understanding of how important the rural economy is in the general economy how many people Mm -hmm. we employ how much money is generated in the rural economy and of course you can only live and work in rural areas with a good planning system because everything that you need to do whether it's wanting to build a house to live in the countryside or starting a rural business, or diversifying, it all needs planning. So you need to have a supportive planning system that supports rural, and it just has been really lacking, uh, you know, for a long time. Interestingly, there does currently, and only really very currently, seem to be some wake-up to this. And Michael Gove has, just a few days ago, launched a consultation on extending permitted development rights and allowing quite a lot more flexibility within permitted development Mm. for rural businesses and farms. And that is really important and it's really valuable. And I I do welcome that. But it's only part of the problem um, that that is improving permitted development. But permitted development is very prescriptive and set criteria. Really, what we actually need is something more fundamental, which is a better understanding of the importance of the rural economy at a government level and and more support coming top down yeah, just, uh,
0: just sorry, just pausing on that. Yeah. I mean, uh, from your position as someone who really lives and breathes the planning system, and, and has has vast experience in in the rural uh, world on this basis, in your opinion, what would what would take for that to happen? What what are the nuts and bolts that we need to do? Is it a complete systemic shift? Is it the the kind of people who are, who are training um as part of planning teams in town planning? What's required?
1: I think probably sort of both of what you said, really. I mean, so much of it is political, of course. You know, and and you could spend all day talking about that, couldn't you? And that the you know the rural economy and politics and planning. There's there's very little representation, and I, I just don't think at you know at government level that there's an awful lot taken into account, and probably not enough representation of of the importance of it. But I, I honestly don't really know how that would change in a, you know, in a very, there's no quick fix for that, is there? That is a systemic yeah. problem. I mean, of course, you've got MPs that are, are more rurally focused and do stand up and do have their say. But, yeah, I just think that it's it's still seen as kind of small fry and not as important as it should be. At more local level, there is actually, I mean, go, going slightly sideways, there is a huge problem in delivery of the planning system anyway it's very very under-resourced planning officers are leaving local authorities left right and center the government is trying to do some some to address that whether it will work or not i don't know um so of course there's just, there's basically not enough people and those planning officers that are there have generally done something like an urban planning course of some description yeah. with very little input again about the, the rural side to it
0: Just bring this towards um, an individual business level, an individual farm level. How do you think we can see planning, I suppose, as less of a hurdle? Because again, we've we've gone through a lot of the challenges there, but less of a hurdle and more of a strategic opportunity. So because planning is an inevitable part of of any new venture, depending on the venture, obviously, but if if it's place-based, certainly planning is going to be involved. So how do we shift our thinking, do you think, to actually see that more as an opportunity as part of the process?
1: It's a good question and of course planning has always seen and is a regulatory hurdle and I think people fear the planning system for that reason. There's very much a negative connotation, oh I've got to get through the planning or I can't get planning or whatever. I'm a big believer that with the right approach and the right strategy you can use planning sort of to your advantage but you have got to get strategic about it. There is an element of politics involved in planning local politics now i mean so uh you know getting your local councillor on board for example getting the parish council on board there's things that you can do which can give you a better chance of success if for example you know it, it is something that might not otherwise be supported i think the, the key is uh and obviously i'm going to say this to some degree is about getting the right advice at a really early point in anybody's farm diversification or rural business startup process because I sadly I see people come to us and they say well I contacted the council to ask about x or y and they told me no and of course at that point they've already put their plans to the council it's already now on paper (laughs) and so and unfortunately in some instances that's not the the, the best way to do things you know we it's, it's a terrible phrase but about lining your ducks up and and if you can get some of that strategy and some of that advice from the outset because it really always isn't a case of going straight from a to b sometimes you've got to go v- via you know yeah. c or d or e <laughs> i think probably my advice is and i realize that i'm going to say it but i do feel very passionately that what a good rural planning consultant can bring to the party get some of that advice early doors and then use the permitted development rights and of course again they're quite com- complicated so it's difficult to understand in some instances but use those to your advantage so again an example there's really quite good permitted development rights for the change of use of buildings from agriculture to commercial it's called a class r not many people know about it um and then so you can start with class r then you can change more buildings through a planning application later down the line and things so yes using what's out there to your best advantage doing proactive applications and then working with somebody that does know what they're doing to come up with this strategy and make sure that your planning has got the best chance of success from the start
0: rural business focus is brought to you from rural pod media the only podcast production agency to specialize in the rural sector We're on a mission to make rural stories mainstream and help businesses, organizations, and communities like you to tell your story through podcasting. Podcasting is a fantastic way of connecting with your audience, whoever that might be, getting your message out there and networking with leaders in your niche. RuralPod Media can help you by launching your new podcast or helping you with the technical side. We also provide podcast training and an audit service if you already have a podcast, but you're not sure where to take it to next. For more information or to book a call, visit ruralpodmedia.co.uk. That's ruralpodmedia.co.uk. Let's turn briefly to your own business. I'm I'm interested in your own business journey here, um, because in Mole and Co, you set that up in 2010. Um, Rural planning company is is how you trade, but yeah, tell me a little bit about how the business started and, and why you started it as well.
1: Um, I suppose even just going back very briefly I when I was 18 and trying to think about what to do didn't have a scooby-doo what to do <laughs> so I just knew that I wanted to go to Harper Adams because at the time I don't know whether it still has but at the time Harper had got the longest bar in England so I was like that's the place for me <laughs> yeah. and uh, I got some friends that were there had a couple of nights out so I was like Harper is definitely where I need to go so I was all for just doing straight ag or something at Harper but my parents basically said you're not going unless you do something which you can get a job at the end of because okay. my dad's farm's small, so I went, I just plumped on the prospectus for land management, didn't really even read it. I just, that'll do, <laughs> right? Um, anyway, miraculous. Well,
0: never, never is a decision that's made more, a bigger impact on your life be more important. <laughs> I know. To, you just yeah, that'll do. All,
1: all about the alcohol, really. And um, <laughs> so but but as luck would have it, uh, I enjoyed the course. Did a placement year, enjoyed that. I was like, actually, this is something that I would like to go into. So miraculously got a degree and that was really remar- miraculous. And then I, my first job was working for Worcester Livestock Market. So for a firm called McCartney's, who I, I owe a lot to. I got on really well at McCartney's and I really enjoyed my first, you know, I had a lovely, really, really nice boss. I got a lot from that and I, I feel that they sort of nurtured me through. Because I was only 21 when I started, nurtured me through a few years. I got qualified as a charter surveyor and an agricultural valuer. I'd always had this hankering to, to work for myself, really. And I always, uh, I, I'm a bit of a rebel, I suppose, at heart. And I don't really like being told what to do. I think is probably the long and short of it. So I have always just wanted to be master of my own destiny, work for myself. And so when I was, I did do a brief stint at the NFU, at the National Farmers Union up at Stoneleigh. And whilst I was there, enjoyed that, got a lot out of that as well. But I just, it just, the cog started turning in my mind of what, you know, I just wanted to set up something, do something by myself. I was about 27 or 28, I think at the time. So at that point, I said to myself, I'm just going to set up, just going to be a one man band and I'm just going to do some professional work for some farming clients that I'd kept in touch with, uh, you know, some stewardships, maybe a few single farm payment forms, that sort of thing. Uh, and I was really at that point fairly content for it just to be self-employed. Over the f- sort of following few years, we I employed a few people and we got up to kind of five or six of us. And that's broadly where we sort of sat at in Mole & Co. And we were offering mixed practice professional advice for, for predominantly farmers. So uh, tenancy advice, grant applications, compensation claims, very much land agent type yep. of stuff. But all the way through and right from the start, we'd always done a lot of planning and it was something that I'd enjoyed and we were good at. And, yeah, that was just something that became quite a big part of what Mole & Co was. So we were general practice, but with a hem- heavy emphasis on the planning. And then, you know, in my early 30s, had my children and things. And so I think perhaps to some degree, I didn't really push the business on that much at that point. It mm-hmm. we, we just went along with five or six of us and that was fine. We were still doing reasonably well. But just kind of just happy just to to go on as we were. Where are we now? About four years ago, and certainly once we were kind of coming up to COVID, the industry in general, land agency again, it, it is changing quite rapidly in response to what's happening in the agricultural industry. And farmers, in my opinion, are needing specialist advice now. You know, so so if you take some of the larger companies, they have got specialist utility departments. They've got specialist Uh, environment departments or estate agency or planning it's all becoming quite a lot more specialized and the day of the general practice land agent Mm. I'm not sure is going to be there for a lot longer there is a role with it but it's changing really significantly and I was struggling to see where how we could offer value to farmers still being that generalist business three years ago we just said actually we're really good at planning Why don't we be planning consultants, rural planning consultants? And it was quite a big shift in my mind because I identified (laughs) as a land agent in chartered charter surveyor, not a planner, really, if I'm honest. I mean, it was 90 percent of what I was doing. So it wasn't really any different, but it was just a bit of a shift in my own mind in terms of running what was now going to be a planning consultancy, not a, you know, firm of chartered surveyors. And so we started trading as the Rural Planning Co., uh, sort of during COVID so probably three years ago now and it has just ballooned which is brilliant it has just given us such sharp focus for what we want to be as a business what we can truly deliver to our farmers and our clients from a business point of view the downside is we have eggs in one basket now from a business focus point of view we can market more effectively we can create targets you know we can have visions and objectives and things that are just really focusing around one thing and it really has been revolutionary for me in my business journey to just have that one core focus deliver one thing really really well to a core niche audience so we've been doing that now for three years and we've grown to um, 17 or 18 people now How
0: significant growth yeah
1: yeah, it has we've we've gone up quite a bit and you know gone up quite a bit in terms of turnover and stuff but it's just I'm really excited about the business you know I'm really excited about what we can do with it and where we can go yeah. with it
0: um just drawing on that that's interesting you bring out that uh sort of idea about focus and it's uh well, it's clearly at the core of this podcast yeah. um, and what we're trying to do here but um What would you say, broadening that out, have been your main learning points, um, both running your business, but particularly about running a rural business?
1: For me, generally speaking, business is about people. It's about relationships. It's about so often people do buy from people, um, especially in smaller and medium size and in the rural sector. It is about being a personable person. It's about being somebody that people want to do business with a lot of our planning advice is quite strategic and you need very specialist advice. But if you were to take something like an agricultural building, which you know, I could sort of do with my eyes shut and, and you know, do it a hundred times. yeah, But actually, so could lots of other people in the industry do an agricultural building application. So why do people choose to buy it from us? And it's, you know, it, it's a lot to do with how you treat people, the customer service that you give. When I was in my very first job at Worcester Market, one of my colleagues told me a saying, which I think is is a good saying, and I've always sort of carried it through, which is, it's nice to be important, but it's important to be nice. And i.e., basically, don't ever get too big for your boots, just be nice to everybody, treat everybody the same. You know, I've got clients that are scrap men and lords and ladies, and I don't charge one any more than the other. Yeah. And I treat everybody the same way. And I don't say that to give myself a pat on the back, but I just think that just be a decent human being <laughs> and you can go a long way. You haven't got to try and be too clever about things. Um, and especially in the rural sector, it's really important and, and farming because it's such a small world. Your reputation is so important. Yep. So be authentic, be yourself, be trustworthy. But you know, that's not to say you've got to be a machine have your personality and be interesting at the same time, you know, so be who you are. I think, yeah, it's a lot to do with people, isn't it? And especially in the rural environment, the other sort of thing that I have learned and I've never been good at, which we talked about briefly at the start then was the do one thing well, because I am naturally a a shiny object person. I'm like, Oh, a new project. Oh, let's do something else. Or here's a new idea. (laughs) Uh, And I think really to be, very, very good at something, you've just got to concentrate on one thing. I mean, there's a saying, isn't there, you chase two rabbits and you don't catch either. And I just, it is true. And as much as I hate that because I want to do loads and loads of really cool, (laughs) interesting things, you know, in business, you only succeed if you do the boring stuff consistently well.
0: Yeah.
1: And stop chasing the shiny stuff. Only chase the shiny stuff when you've nailed the rest of it. So that's what I'm still working on personally. And I think it's a truism across across business.
0: Yeah, oh, so much on that, and I want to I want to draw some of the more of that more of that out at the end. But uh, finally, sort of a, a future question, I suppose. Um, where do you want to be in ten years?
1: Oh, big question. <laughs> um, it's a good question. So, with the business, I would like to have. I I would like us. My my goal for the business is to become the most well recognized planning spec, excellent planning specialists. So I want us to be known as you know, the best out there. And so that's my vision for the business, which takes time to build up that brand and that reputation. So that probably will take 10 years. In terms of size, I would like us to grow. I'd like us to be, I don't want complete world domination. Something like four or five offices would be quite nice. And we're actually, we're just uh, sort of semi-hot off the press, but we are just opening a second office actually, which is our sort of, which is new for us. So So that's going to be open. Exciting yeah we've actually just got the keys uh, and and so we'll be doing some some press on that but that's in the Cotswolds so we're you know sort of we do a lot of work down there anyway but our Cotswolds office will be sort of covering more of that warwickshire oxfordshire gloucestershire and cotswolds area which is a great strategic expansion for us so that's really exciting and then i would like to do the same in a couple of other strategic locations so that's my, my that's my professional and business vision for 10 years personally we've spent The last ten years, building up our own farm, my husband and I, and we have now got our business running well. We are building our house on the farm. You know that has been a long journey with going from living in a you know log cabin to building a house, and that's all started from scratch. You know that's something we've been doing alongside the rest of the businesses, and so actually personally, feel like I'm nearly there. You know, in what I've been wanting to achieve for a long time, we're we're nearly there, which is really And I'm really grateful for that. And what a lovely position to be in. And I mean, you know, we still owe the bank loads of money, so I've still got to (laughs) keep working.
0: Um, Keep them happy. That's
1: important. But yeah, personally, I I feel pretty if I'm still in the same place in 10 years, I'll be pretty, pretty chuffed.
0: Um, I'm going to ask you the final couple of questions. Um, The first is uh, general to you. So what do you do so that you keep focused on your goals, could be personal or professional?
1: It's a good question. (laughs) I think that for a long time it has just been so ingrained in me that I don't think I really think about it there being an alternative. I have worked since I was 14 you know literally like evenings, weekends and then as soon as I was 18 and then as soon as I was 21 full-time job. I have never ever knocked worked as hard as I possibly can and I think to some degree in those early teens and 20s, it was all about money. I was just want to make some money. And then actually it just becomes habit, doesn't it, over a period of time. And now I don't know anything else, really. I'm, I'm a loser. I don't have any hobbies. <laughs> <laughs> By the time I've sorted out the children and work, I don't have time for anything else. So really, I just I, I, it's just become so ingrained that I think it's now just habit, really, more than anything else. I, I still am highly motivated because I'm, I'm, I'm focused on what we can deliver for our clients and hopefully some of the changes that we can make for our clients and some of the impact that we can have. And I'm focused on the business because I'm enjoying the game of the business. You know, yeah. it's it's something that I, I really uh, sort of get a buzz from. I think probably my motivation early doors and the focus came out of that desire to earn money, wanting to build my own farm, wanting to get that set up. And now we are more or less here. The motivation comes out of a desire for the deal, the game, the the fun of it. You know, it it shifts, I think, as as you get older. Brilliant.
0: Well, Hannah, thank you so much for coming on the on the podcast and telling us more about what you do. And there's definitely some some key things that I want to draw out today. But before I do that, um, just tell listeners how they find out more about the rural planning cone, more about you.
1: Uh well, we're just uh, re-jigging our website so hopefully within a few months we're going to have a beautiful new sparkling website that will tell oh, you all you ever need to know about rural planning so hopefully <laughs> watch out for that we are on the normal social media channels through the rural planning co i do quite a lot of youtube videos so as cringy as they are then if you need to know anything about rural planning you'll probably find me on youtube oh, i'm um, gonna check
0: those out <laughs> no, please don't.
1: It's horrible. And then uh, I also sort of enjoy connecting with people on LinkedIn and things, and that's how I do quite a lot of my networking and and working with people through there. So yeah, just uh, that would be great.
0: Yep, there it is again—the power of LinkedIn. Use it, everyone. Okay. Um. So yeah, just uh, thank you so much today. We're, we're going to leave it there, but I just want to just reflect on a few of the things that you brought out, especially one of those things which again we return to again and again but it is that benefit of having one core focus um you mentioned sort of being able to market more efficiently being focused on your targets and your objectives uh, and i think when you are doing it, it's it's so and I'm, I'm the same still i'm still learning about this when you have a nice shiny new object or a new project that you want i want to go down this line but actually something else you said was just just do the boring things well do those be consistent with that and carry that on whatever whatever area of business you're working in that's really important to do the other thing i wanted to draw out is uh when you were talking about business it, being about people and relationships and relationship building that's absolutely key um being authentic um to yourself um, especially in farming communities your reputation is everything as well in many ways be nice to people that was another thing you said which I, I think is is really important and actually it's something that we don't say enough it, it does make a big difference treating everyone um as yeah as you want to be treated yourself but treating everyone consistently and I think that's probably my call to action for listeners uh, today. Uh, both both that, sort of think about how you uh, treat the people around you, but also think about your focus. Let's actually bring it back to that core um, sort of objective there. Think about how focused you are at the moment and whether, whether you're being tempted in, in any particular line. Yes, it's great to explore other things, um, but make sure that you're doing uh, those basic things well. So did, did I cover everything there, do you, do you think?
1: Absolutely. wonderfully.
0: Brilliant. Well, big thanks to my guest today, Hannah Moll. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. Um, as usual, I'd love to hear your thoughts on today's episode. We're on Twitter at RuralBF underscore pod or on Instagram at Rural Business Focus. Uh, check out the show notes uh, for any more information on today, including links uh, to Hannah's site. Uh, next time, uh, we're talking about using your time efficiently uh, with the Pomodoro technique. We're going quite left field with that. But if you don't know what that is, check out next week. For now, though, I will leave you in the way that I leave you every episode. Try to do one thing this week that helps you progress and one thing that helps someone else. Keep focused and I will see you next time.